to a movie over winter break. I have winter break because I have three kids. That's how it works when you have kids. Uh, you still do breaks like that. My kids have been home for what feels like about nine months. Um, it is for all my parents out there. You are ready for them to go back. Yes, love them dearly. But Jesus, come. Um, we went and saw Wonka. Anyone seen Wonka? Oh my gosh, that really did it for me. If you don't like it, I don't care. Um, it was it was so beautiful. Like I. I'm rarely a crier, but it was getting the streams. Whenever like my kids know I'm crying, they like look over like to see, you know, like dad gonna break down. But that end scene, which I'm not gonna spoiler alert because that would be rude. That's a little too fresh. Um, man, it, it got me. I love the themes of the movie because the themes of the movie are really about eternal optimism. That there's this idea that's in the movie. Uh, that the idea is deeper than the chocolate that he's handing out. The idea is really an identity of hope that he finds in the love of his mother. And that the love of his mother is the reminder of that it's not about the secret chocolate that you make, it's about the company that you keep. And then that's the beauty and the goodness of life. I also love Wonka because it's a really good Messiah movie, if you've never thought about it before. No father really in the picture. There's just a mom who has like an immaculate conception sort of thing, right? He's doing the good news of chocolate wherever he goes. He's got a ragtag bunch of people who follow him who also tell the story of chocolate. The state and those who are also in his industry try to kill him to no avail. He resurrects from the chocolate. It's very messianic if you've ever thought about it before. Miracles and magic everywhere. It's modern day Jesus, people. Enjoy. But I think as I go into 2024, I need eternal optimism. And as I come into 2024, the thing that I think about for this community as I pray about where we're going is how do we follow Jesus in a new way? That as we think about following Jesus, how do we think about what good news actually is? That so many of us grew up with bad news or other versions of a gospel that weren't exactly helpful to who we were. And so as we think about good news in 2024, I hope that it's practical for you. I hope it's transformational for you, but it's an idea that we're going to come back to again and again and again. Because at the end of the day, we have choices to make. It's an election year, by the way. I know, bring down the mood. But you're just going to be bombarded with stuff that you don't want to see. People are going to be angry. Don't you dare look at a comment section. That is on you. <laughs> and so we have some opportunities here. We can either be negative and critique everything and be mad at the whole world because there's plenty going on to be angry at, to hold accountability to, and to want change. But I think above and beyond all of that good news leads us to an eternal optimism that says, no, I believe in hope. I believe things can be better. I believe that God has something good for us. I believe that this year, why not this year? Can't this be the best year? I'm not shoveling prosperity gospel, by the way, although I would love to because I would have a private jet. <laughs> but what I really do believe is that there's something true and beautiful in that type of gospel that says, why not now? Why not in this moment? Why can't this be good news? How do I choose a perspective that Jesus is endlessly leading us in this thing called kingdom? That Jesus is showing us a larger version of reality that we can have for ourselves. And so if at the end of the day, 2024 is going to come at us because it just will, because that's just what it means to be human, then what are the things that I can choose to do? And I can choose to have a perspective, an ideology, a way of living and being and breathing and moving in the world. And that way for me is good news. And so to talk about reimagining good news, we're going to talk about some things. We're going to talk about Caesar Augustus because talk about a good time in January in 2024 to talk about ancient Roman history. Am I right, my friends? Yes. Seven of you. And some of you are shaking your heads. I appreciate that. If we can talk about that, then we can talk about breaking some bad news cycles. If we can break some bad news cycles, then some L.A. rituals, my friends. And if we can talk about L.A. rituals, then teshuva. 
And if we can talk about teshuva, then we need a little bit of healing on healing on healing to get us through 2024. And if we can talk about healing on healing, then we can talk about how we're all standing on the shoulders of giants. So that's what we're going to do. Follow along with me in Mark chapter 1. This is the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. It began just as the prophet Isaiah had written, Look, I am sending my messenger ahead of you, and he will prepare your way. He is a voice shouting in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord's coming. Clear the road for him. This messenger was John the Baptist, and he was in the wilderness and preached that people should be baptized to show that they had repented of their sins and turned to God to be forgiven. All of Judea, including all the people of Jerusalem, went out to see and hear John. And when they confessed their sins, he baptized them in the Jordan River. And his clothes were woven from coarse camel hair, and he wore a leather belt around his waist. He was from Brooklyn. For food, he ate locusts and wild honey. And John announced, someone is coming soon who is greater than I am, so much greater that I'm not even worthy to stoop down like a slave and untie the straps of his sandals. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. The words of the gospel that begin this way, the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. Interestingly enough, this is not the first time that these words were used. We've got to go back in time to a Roman emperor for that. For Julius Caesar, he's the person who brought the Roman Empire together. He actually dismantled the Roman Republic, and he was a Roman general who defeated all of his political rivals, and he set up what would become the Roman Empire. Julius Caesar, at his assassination, was taken over by his nephew, Caesar Augustus. When Caesar Augustus came onto the scene, they began to see themselves, they being the Caesars, as divine. And so Caesar Augustus, being now the son of Julius Caesar, was called the son of God. And this son of God was called the prince of peace. You may have heard some of these terminologies for, before. And wherever Caesar Augustus would go during his rule and his reign, they would announce his Greek word, the euangelion. Say euangelion with me. Talk about a good time on a Sunday morning. That means good news. So there was a good news that would go ahead of Caesar Augustus wherever he went, and that good news was about Pax Romana, which meant the peace of Rome. That even in Jesus' day, which Caesar Augustus was the emperor during Jesus' birth, there was already another narrative out there about peace. That Caesar Augustus promoted a different type of gospel. And this gospel said, if you're a Roman citizen, then this gospel works for you. Because empires have always had the same gospel. You experience peace where you're living in Oklahoma, but what happens at the edges of the earth, you don't really need to know about. That this gospel of peace meant that some people got to live in the top 1% and everyone else needed to support that dream. That there have always been other gospels out there. There have always been other narratives about what it means to be human. And the empire always provides a narrative that this gospel will work for you in some way, shape, or form if you would just adhere to that gospel. If you would just adhere to this way of life, if you would just adhere to the American dream, if you would just be a little bit more white, if you would just be a little bit more of this, we've had different narratives throughout history in the United States about what this gospel would be. And if you do these things, then it will work out for you. Jesus was aware of that. And so his good news, his message begins the same way. It's a juxtaposition. 
For us, 2,000 years later, we don't hear it in the same way. We've been taught that all of this language is somehow just theological and somehow just the nature of who God is. But in the ancient world, this was a political revolution. In the ancient world, this was transformative. In the ancient world, this is saying, I know they've told you this story over here, but what if I have another story for you? And so Jesus sets out to show us, not just tell us, a different gospel. And in this good news, this Son of God, this Prince of Peace, this Jesus shows us a way about being human in which every single person is welcome to the table. This Jesus shows us a radically inclusive kingdom. This Jesus constantly crosses boundaries and borders to show us that to be human is radical in nature because every single one of us is made in the image of God. This Jesus, wherever he goes, leaves people better than when he finds them. That's the message of this good news. A message of healing on healing on healing on healing in which you constantly are left better than you were found. And that's the good news that we're invited into. That this is a good news about Jesus. That for so many of us, we need a good news about something beyond ourselves. I'm a good, liberal, progressive Angelino living in 2024, which means this. I love thinking about my favorite topic, me. I love doing therapy about me. I love talking about me. I love looking at TED Talks for me. I love doing Enneagrams to know more about me. I think the whole world is thinking about me. When I read social media, I want to know, are they liking me? I know I'm, only, I'm the only one here doing that. I'm just saying, as good progressive liberals, we have been taught it's all about our independence and what we can do. A little bit more Brene Brown and more therapy and me. I just need more me. And what I think is beautiful about that is that what we've reclaimed is this reality where of codependency, where sometimes in the church world that many of us grew up in, your job is just to think about everyone else all of the time to your own detriment. Many of you were given that lesson. Don't do your healing. Don't speak your truth. Don't be honest about where you're at. Even if they're abusing you, even if they're hurting you, you keep quiet. And now we're on the other side of things. And I think what Jesus invites us into is be healthy, be whole, do all of those things. But at the end of the day, this is not good news about you. This is good news about Jesus. That's where you begin. That this is the thing that will root you in a greater reality of what it means to be human. Because there's just going to be bad days. There's going to be days where all of your therapy and all of your 12 steps and all of the things that you've done to create wholeness and health in your life will not work for you. And you will need something beyond yourself. You will need a gospel beyond you. And that's what Jesus invites us into. You will need a prince of peace beyond you. You will need a Messiah, a king, something larger, bigger than your narrative to sustain you. And at the end of the day, you're finite. That this narrative not only sustains you, but it has the ability to sustain an entire community. And it can be a narrative for all of humanity is what God invites us into. A narrative in which every single person is seen in the image of God. Now, why that's a big deal is because if it's just a gospel about me, at the end of the day, I will hate some people. I can tell you a list right now if you'd like to know it. There are some people that piss me off. There are some people that really hurt me. And as much as I want blessing for me in 2024, I'll smile and say I want that for them too. But I don't. I really don't. I hope they get a taste of what they've been giving. That's just what it means to be human sometimes. And that's why we need a gospel about Jesus, something beyond ourselves. Something that sees every human being for who they are, even in spite of our ability to see that way. 
Caesar Augustus provided a gospel for what it meant to be human, and it worked for some. Jesus comes in a much different way and says, here's a gospel that's going to work for all. And I don't need you just to believe it because I said it. I'm not going to force you into it through coercion or through the mighty military might of the Roman Empire. I'm going to show you it through love. I'm going to show you it through kindness. I'm going to show you it through healing. I'm going to show you it by showing up to people when they're in their most broken stages. When someone else tells them that they're not human because of X, Y, Z, whatever it may be, I'm going to remind them of what's true about them. That's the good news. It's not just stories that happened 2,000 years ago. It's the reminders that we still need those things today. And so if we're going to be a part of this radical, revolutionary good news about Jesus, then we're going to need to practice some things. One of the things I think that we get to practice is ritual. I love that in the story, John is out there baptizing. And at the end of the day, maybe not all of us are going to go get baptized in the Jordan River, but it's really just a story about creating new rituals. That sometimes we just need moments in life where we stop, where we pause, where we're reminded of what's sacred in our lives. And I think we need that maybe more than ever. I don't know about you, but the habit that I have that I hate is I wake up and I start scrolling. Why do I do that to my mental health? How is that the best way to start in a relationship with my iPhone? Steve Jobs, you're winning. I think that there are better ways for us to be human. I think there are better ways for us to have sacred rituals. And I don't know what your sacred ritual is. Maybe one of your sacred rituals, and I know this is going to be easy for me to say because I'm a pastor and you're in a church, is going to church again. Maybe for you, it's showing up in the place like this to be reminded of a good news that's about Jesus that's beyond you and can give you a better way of living and healing and being transformed and maturing for your life. Maybe your sacred ritual is all the things that you learn as a 1990s evangelical. You're going to put on a little Chris Tomlin. You're going to make a little cup of tea and you're going to read your Bible in the morning. I don't care. I'm not mocking them. I'm saying do it. Do the things that remind you. When William sang that song this morning, what was it? Jesus, lover of my soul. I was like an eighth grader all over again. And I haven't heard that song in such a long time. But if it's worked for you, then do the good. We have thrown away so many of the rituals that we were given, but they've lasted for thousands of years for a reason. Prayer works for a reason. When we start our day with that versus with scrolling, the scriptures are eternally true because they have worked for generation after generation for generation for thousands of years, showing us who God is as love and good and what it means to be human in a deeper way. Maybe you want to follow Will Smith's ritual, which is read and run every day. I practice that most of the time, and that works for me. When I find myself moving my body physically and just reading something for 15 minutes, it resets myself because it's a practice of getting myself focused. I don't care what it is, and what I love about a liberal community like this is you can pick anything. You don't live at the church you grew up with. There's only two ways that you can have Jesus, and if you don't do those two very specific things, just like the pastor did, then somehow your spiritual life is not robust. It doesn't need to be that. So go find the thing that you need and that you want, but commit to it. That's the gift of coming into a new year. We're all saying together, I want to reset some things. I want to do some things differently. I want to add on to some things. I want to let some things go. What an incredible opportunity where that's in your mindset. It's in the zeitgeist, in the air, the ethos of what we're breathing. So do it. What's that sacred ritual that you would want to take on that reminds you of a gospel that's bigger than yourself? Because you're going to need that as you go into 2024. 
If you can add a new ritual as a means of practicing good news, then I think that's something that we can always come back to is a little bit of teshuva. Say, say teshuva with me on a Sunday morning. That's a Hebrew word for repentance. Many of us hear repentance in the cringe level when it went up to like a level 10 right now. Because you grew up in a world where you repent and you need to say all of the things of why you are so horrible and bad and you need to say it all in just the right way because if you forget some of those things, you might miss the rapture. Anybody else or was that just me? Oh, for the love of Jesus and Kurt Cameron. It was tough times. <laughs> One of the things that I so passionately care about at New Abbey is that we break cycles of bad news. We were given a story of bad news. We were all given stories about original sin and something that happened in a garden thousands of years ago, something that you had no control over. And because of the actions of a few people, God has been disappointed with the world, thus disappointed in you. And we need something to fix that pain that is in the world. If you've been to New Abbey before, you know that I don't believe in original sin. That is an idea that came to the church 500 years after the fact, was developed over the next 1,000 years. Calvin really went hard with it, and by the time you get to American evangelicals, boy, are we having a good time. Plus, we were the richest Christians that the world's ever seen, so we printed the most materials about that stuff. Something I remember learning early on in my theological and biblical studies, because I was cool, was something called original blessedness, which is actually what the church practiced for the first few hundred years. It was this idea that we're just all originally good. We're all originally inherently good and made in the image of God. Why we participate in this kingdom of Jesus is that Jesus shows us what it looks like to move into the likeness of God. So when you already know your goodness, your love, who you are, that doesn't mean that you're living that way. That doesn't mean that you're showing those fruits. And so the process of discipleship, language we don't use a lot anymore, was that participation of moving into the likeness of God. And so for so many of us, I want to move away from those bad news cycles where we have versions of God where it's just not helpful for you anymore. If you're still here in 2024 and you're one of my queer brothers or sisters and you have some narrative that a church gave you that the Bible says that you are bad or you are wrong or that you are evil, that something's not quite right with you, you don't have to prove anything anymore. You don't have to proof text the Bible. You don't have to memorize all of the verses. You don't need a PhD in it. You don't. You can let that go. Maybe this is the year where you just get to let go of that bad news. You don't have to prove yourself. For everyone else in the room, you don't have to prove yourself. You're okay. God thinks you're okay. God loves you. You are good today. There's nothing else that you need to do. You don't need to pray a certain way, do a bunch of things a certain way, all the things that you may or may not have done. Just know that God's got you exactly where you're at. And so when we get to this word teshuva, this word is an idea of turning back to or moving towards God. When I was a young Christian, that was an idea that God is somehow over there, and that because of the sin in my life, I am moving away with blinders on, away from God. And teshuva back in the day meant repentance, and I'm going to turn around with these small blinders and try to find where God was at. Did it ever feel like God was playing games with you? Like it wasn't fair? Like it was just difficult? Like this was a tough journey, which we were never really going to fully do it right? And I think we got to move away from that version of repentance. Teshuva is this beautiful Jewish word that Jesus would have known. And it's just this idea of moving towards what we know is good and what we know is beautiful. 
And Jesus is reminding us to move back towards God in a way, but I don't think it's with blinders on moving in a small direction. I think what Jesus constantly shows us and reveals to us is this idea of repentance is just simply opening up our eyes to see that we're not going back to some place where God is. We're opening our eyes to the reality that God is actually all around us all the time. Jesus doesn't direct people back to the temple. That's not what Jesus does. Jesus constantly takes his followers and says, I bet you never thought that God was with the Samaritans. Man, God's been here the entire time. Oh, she was caught in adultery. Man, you have no idea how she's made in the image of God. And if you think that you don't have anything going on, then go ahead and throw that first stone. You can't go near that man. He's got thousands of demons in him. I am going to go free him so that you will see that God has never left him. Jesus was constantly breaking the cycles of bad news for everyone else and reminding them of the revolutionary good news that God has always been with you, will always be with you, and will never leave you. That's powerful. That's good. So as you're in 2024, would you take on some new rituals? Would you take on some new sacred habits that are going to guide you and allow you to see a version of humanity and reality that's bigger than yourself? Would you also participate in teshuva? Would you trust that what Jesus is showing you in this good news is that Jesus is opening your perspective to a way bigger world and universe and cosmos than you can ever imagine? People, we have things like the James Webb Telescope now. We've just got incredible opportunities to see the entire universe, and we still know nothing. I heard this the other day. If we were to look at the entire universe, and if we imagine that the whole universe was like the ocean, the part of the universe that we've taken pictures of is like us taking a bucket out of the ocean. We know nothing. And we're like, we're the only life here. That's an alien conversation for another day. But anyway, we'll get into, we'll get into that. I really didn't plan on talking about aliens. So we can practice teshuva. And then I think another thing that we see in Jesus talking about good news is forgiveness. Forgiveness is something that I want this community to think about in new ways. I think about forgiveness just simply in the way of healing. Man, everywhere Jesus went, he left people better than he found them. I say that phrase all the time, but I just know it to be true. I think as human beings, we just long for healing. I don't like the idea of original sin because I just think it's bad theology that was just made up by a bunch of people. But I've been thinking about it in a fresh way. There is something true about family trauma. There is something true about societal trauma. There is something true about systematic trauma. That there are traumas in this world, pains that you did nothing about. It's not your fault. And it wasn't fair. And it's not okay. And it's not right. And maybe that's a better idea of what those stories are really trying to tell us about original sin. That there's some things that happen back there. And it's going to hurt you in a way, even though you didn't do anything about that. And I think what I see about Jesus is he's so aware of the hurt and the pain that are in people's lives. What I love about God is that God's not playing punitive games. God's not pathetic. God's not trying to do anything like that with us. What I see about God and what I see in Jesus all of the time is that Jesus is just so interested in making us whole. And I think for most of us, we were taught these really radical ideas about sin and it was much more like Santa Claus and our ability to keep some moral legality alive. But I think the truth about what sin really is, which we have a better, more holistic Jewish version of that definition of sin, which is the palpable disruption of shalom, which means that wholeness is the goal. And sometimes that wholeness gets disrupted. And most of the time that wholeness gets disrupted, not because you're evil or bad or malicious, 
that wholeness gets disrupted because you're a human being who's trying to care for yourself. And as we try to care for ourselves, sometimes we don't have enough maturity to do it in a proper way, and so we cope. Sometimes we cope with fight, flight, freeze, or fawn. Sometimes we cope with our addictions. Sometimes we cope with our anger. Sometimes we cope. We cope in all kinds of ways, and I think Jesus was very aware of that. And so I think when Jesus invites us into this world of forgiveness, it's just an invitation into a world of healing. I think Jesus is being gentle and compassionate with us, saying, I know that's how you cope. I know that no one else taught you a better skill to care for yourself that way. I know that your pastors didn't show you that, your religion didn't offer you that, maybe it wasn't available in your family. Heck, the generations, two generations before us, they never even read a book about psychology. That's not a dig on them, that's just real. Things are changing rapidly. You have so much access to good things, and now we know how we try to cope and how we try to care for ourselves. And I think Jesus shows up and has always been showing up, and when Jesus invites us into forgiveness, it's an invitation into healing. Not about shame, not about guilt, but about freedom. Where you don't have to sit around and say, ah, I did it again, or I'm this horrible person. What if you just get to be gracious to yourself and say, I was coping and it wasn't the best me. And Jesus has a better gospel for me, a better way of being for me. And it's not going to be perfect. It's certainly going to be progress. But today I'm going to make one step forward in that direction so that I can better care for myself. And thank God I'm not alone because this is not a good news about me. This is the good news about Jesus, and this Jesus will be for me in my journey of healing and caring for myself. And in 2024, I need that, because we're like five, six days, I don't even know what the date is, seven days in, and I'm already tired sometimes. I need something beyond me. And so if you can trust that God's going to be with you in rituals and practices, if you can trust that God's going to be with you into shuva, into opening yourself up to a bigger version and reality of who God is? Can you trust that God's also going to be with you in forgiveness and healing because God trusts and knows where you're at? And then the final tool I want to leave us with today is, I love in the story it says, and they all came out to him. They all came out to John to hear this different radical good news and gospel than the one that they'd been hearing. And they all came out to him, but it tells me it was probably working. There was something fresh there. There was something that they needed there. And now, Abby, I want to leave this with you. In your journey in 2024, no matter how many sacred rituals you take on, no matter how much repentance or opening yourself to a bigger story, no matter how much forgiveness and healing you have, you're going to have bad days. You're going to have days where you don't have it all figured out. And what I love about the Gospels is it's always a reminder, we don't do this thing alone. There are other people in this room who are going to give you good news when you can't offer it for yourself. That's the story. We're here today because we stand on the shoulders of giants. I understand that when we look at church history and the history of the world, there's so much to critique. No one's in favor of like, crusades, that was a good one. Witch hunts, nailed it. No, of course not. But to throw, that was so silly. (laughs) But to throw it all out and to pretend like there's not just good news. Do you know how many people have been participating in this transformative good news for thousands of years? And they've done whatever work they could in their generation. You know how many people have been faithful to this narrative of hope. And they didn't allow the system and the trauma and the pain and the hurt to get the better of them. 
And because of that, we're here today. You know, deconstructing and reconstructing, that's not new. That's not modern. That's been around for thousands of years. It's called death and resurrection. It's always been in the narrative. We stand on the shoulders of giants. We stand on the shoulders of people who have taken this good news seriously in their time and in their place. And now that's our responsibility. It's our responsibility to practice that good news. And you're going to go out there and you're going to do your healing and you're going to live into 2024 in a different way because this is going to be your year. Because why not? Why isn't this going to be your best year? Why isn't today going to be the best day? Why doesn't this get to be opportunity where we change the world? I'm not going to take some narrative that 2024 is the year of Biden and Trump, blah, blah, blah. No, I don't want it. This is the year in which this community says we want more healing, we want more transformation, we want more maturity. I can't control the rest of the world, but I know that when I put my work in, there's going to be a day where I'm going to need you. So thanks for showing up, Jaime. Thanks for showing up, Mickey. Thank you for showing up, team. Thank you when I look around. Thank you for showing up today. Thank you that we can be on this thing together. Because we're going to need one another in this coming year. That's the radical good news that we get to participate in. This is the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. It's a radical good news that will transform and change lives, that does bring healing, that brings about maturity. It's a radical good news that's been working for thousands of years, and we have an opportunity to live out this good news in a new and fresh way in 2024. And I'm grateful that we get to do it together in Moravi. Would you find the same three or four people around you and answer this question? How can we practice?